to A Star Witness. Hello everyone, this is Kayla bringing another episode. And before we get started, let's say a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you do for us. There are so many things that we can praise your name for and thank you for, and we should every single day. Lord, I ask that you be with us and send your Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct us. Help us to show you the respect and honor that you deserve. Angels cover their faces at at even mentioning your name. And Lord, we need to show the same reverence and respect toward you. We often forget how amazing and awe-inspiring and truly magnificent you are. Help us, Lord, to be more like you and less like ourselves. Help us to give up all of the world for you because you gave up all for us. And we ask all these things in your precious, holy, wonderful son's name. Amen. All right, so today I want to talk about the behavior that we exhibit in God's house. And I'm going to read from Testimonies from the Church, Volume 5, Chapter 55, and we'll read through it and discuss it. It is amazing that people nowadays don't show the respect God deserves in his house or when talking about him. I mean, we often forget how truly amazing he is and how much we should fear him, but not like fear him like you're scared of him, but fear him in reverence and worship and and love. There is a difference. And there's the other side of him that is fearful when he exhibits judgment and when he is sitting on his throne. So there are different aspects to it. But let's get into the behavior and what we should be doing in the house of God. So it starts off with this. To the humble believing soul, the house of God on earth is the gate of heaven. The song of praise, the prayer, the words spoken by Christ's representatives are God's appointed agencies to prepare people for the church above, for that loftier worship into which there can enter nothing that defile it. From the sacredness which was attached to the earthly sanctuary, Christians may learn how they should regard the place where the Lord meets with his people. There has been a great change, not for the better, but for the worse, in the habits and customs of the people in reference to religious worship. The precious, the sacred, things which connect us with God are fast losing their hold upon our minds and hearts and are being brought down to the level of common things. The reverence which the people had anciently for the sanctuary where they met with God in sacred service has largely passed away. Nevertheless, God himself gave the order of a service, exalting it high above everything of a temporal nature. The house is the sanctuary for the family, and the closet or the grove the most retired place for the individual worship. But the church is the sanctuary for the congregation. There should be rules in regard to the time, the place, and the manner of worshiping. Nothing that is sacred, nothing that pertains to the worship of God should be treated with carelessness or indifferent. In order that men may do their best work in showing forth the praises of God, their associations must be such as will keep the sacred distinct from the common in their minds. Those who have broad ideas, noble thoughts, and aspirations are those who have associations that strengthen all thoughts of divine things. Happy are those who have a sanctuary, be it high or low, in the city or among the rugged mountain caves, in the lowly cabin or in the wilderness. If it is the best they can secure for the master, he will hollow the place with his presence, and it will be holy unto the Lord of hosts. You know, too often people get used to what goes on in the church, and so they lose reverence for it. They don't think about that you're going there to meet and worship the living God. They don't think about these things. After a while, it just becomes a ritual, and it's just a building, and nobody 
really cares about the fact that you're there and you're in the presence of God and you're worshiping him together with those around you. So we'll be getting into more of what happens in the church among people. But we need to treat this as a place where God resides. And so therefore we need to do it with reverence and respect and not be joking around and and talking and whispering. And we'll get into more of that later. In fact, right now. And she says, when the worshipers enter the place of meeting, they should do so with decorum, passing quietly to their seat. If there is a stove in the room, it is not proper to crowd about it in an indolent, careless attitude. Common talking, whispering, and laughing should not be permitted in the house of worship, either before or after the service. Ardent, active piety should characterize the worshipers. If some have to wait a few minutes before the meeting begins, let them maintain a true spirit of devotion by silent meditation, keeping the heart uplifted to God in prayer, that the service may be of special benefit to their own hearts and lead to the conviction and conversion of their souls. They should remember that heavenly messengers are in the house. We all lose much sweet communion with God by our restlessness, by not encouraging moments of reflection and prayer. The spiritual condition needs to be often reviewed and the mind and heart drawn toward the Son of Righteousness. If when the people come into the house of worship, they have genuine reverence for the Lord and bear in mind that they are in His presence, there will be a sweet eloquence in silence. The whispering and laughing and talking which might be without sin in a common business place should find no sanction in the house where God is worshipped. The mind should be prepared to hear the word of God, that it may have due weight and suitably impress the heart. When the minister enters, it should be with dignified, solemn mien. He should bow down in silent prayer as soon as he steps into the pulpit and earnestly ask help of God. What an impression this will make! There will be solemnity and awe upon the people. Their minister is communing with God. He is committing himself to God before he dares to stand before the people. Solemnity rests upon all, and angels of God are brought very near. Every one of the congregation also who fears God should with bowed head unite in silent prayer with him, that God may grace the meeting with his presence and give power to his truth proclaimed from human lips. When the meeting is open by prayer, every knee should bow in the presence of the Holy One, and every heart should ascend to God in silent devotion. The prayers of faithful worshipers will be heard, and the ministry of the word will prove effectual. The lifeless attitude of the worshipers in the house of God is one great reason why the ministry is not more productive of good. The melody of song poured forth from many hearts in clear, distinct utterance is one of God's instrumentalities in the work of saving souls. All the service should be conducted with solemnity and awe, as if in the visible presence of the master of assembly. This is amazing to me because I have never seen this kind of worship take place in any of the meetings that I have gone to. And if this were to happen in all of our church meetings, there might be a revival of hearts. There would be definitely of most people, I think, or at least some people, hopefully, if this kind of solemnness and this kind of reverence was shown in the sanctuary and we went about it as if we were in God's presence because we are. God wants to reside there with us. He wants to be with us in our worship. Holy angels want to be there with us. And yet we go about it as every other day and we get used to the way that things are done instead of how they should be. I mean, we sing the songs, but we don't really feel it in our hearts. We just sing it as we do every other week. And we we pray and we go through 
through the structure of these things, but we don't actually feel God's presence in the house. And maybe there are some people who do, but maybe there are some churches who have this amazing connection and solemnness, but it's few and far between. We need a revival. We need to do things maybe in a different way. We need to sing the songs with more heart and with more feeling because angels are singing with us and we should keep that in mind. The pastor should be doing this with us. He should enter solemn prayer and we should be praying for him and with him and really get into that frame of mind that we are worshiping God on high and that needs to be done with reverence and with awe. I mean, how amazing would it be if every single person in the sanctuary is thinking about these things and grasping it? And we're not the only ones who are worshiping God on these days. The unfallen worlds are assembling together and worshiping God. The angels are there worshiping God. All of creation is worshiping God on the Sabbath day. And we should keep these thoughts in the forefront of our minds. And if we kept these thoughts there, we would be way more reverent than we are. We wouldn't be talking and whispering and laughing in the sanctuary. We would wait until we were out in the foyer and then we can talk. And even then, we need to be careful what we talk about on the Sabbath because we can't just talk about everything on the Sabbath. We need to still keep it spiritual and holy because this is a day of sacredness. It's not a day to talk about work and what you do for fun and all of this other common things. And that's a talk for another time. But this is a day of reverence. This is a day for spiritual matters. This is a day to draw closer to God and leave the world behind. We have six days to talk about anything and everything else. But one day we get to spend with God on high and we need to show that reverence that it deserves. God is due his time. We give time to ourselves. We give time to others. But on one day, God asks us to give the whole day to him. And we often make excuses and do our own pleasures and do our own things. And then we pass it off and say, oh, it's okay. This is okay to do. But no, we need to spend this day with God. We need to spend this day thinking of him and talking of him and remembering the things that he's done in the past and the things that he will do in the future, preparing our hearts for the time of trouble to come. She continues, when the word is spoken, you should remember, brethren, that you are listening to the voice of God through his delegated servant. Listen attentively. Sleep not for one instant, because by this slumber, you may lose the very words that you need most. The very words which, if heeded, would save your feet from straying into wrong paths. Satan and his angels are busy creating a paralyzed condition of the senses, so that cautions, warnings, and reproof shall not be heard, or if heard, that they shall not take effect upon the heart and reform the life. Sometimes a little child may so attract the attention of the hearers that the precious seed does not fall into good ground and bring forth fruit. Sometimes young men and women have so little reverence for the house and worship of God that they keep up a continual communication with each other during the sermon. Could these see the angels of God looking upon them and marking their doings, they would be filled with shame, with abhorrence of themselves. God wants attentive hearers. It was while men slept that Satan sowed his tares. We need to be very careful of this, and we should keep this in mind. Even though we can't see them, they are there. Not only the good angels, but the bad angels too, and both are working for the salvation of our souls. One to destroy it and one to save it. So we should be keeping these things in our minds as well, because Satan is working hard for us to not be saved, and God's angels are working hard for us to get the message in our mind to 
bear good fruit and for us to be on the winning side and they are recording everything that we do so we even though we might think we are getting away with something we aren't god knows everything she continues when the benediction is pronounced all should still be quiet as if fearful of losing the peace of christ let all pass out without jostling or loud talking feeling that they are in the presence of god that his eye is resting upon them and that they must act as in his visible presence let there be no stopping in the aisles to visit or gossip thus blocking them up so that others cannot pass out the precincts of the church should be invested with a sacred reverence it should not be made a place to meet old friends and visit and introduce common thoughts and worldly business transactions these should be left outside the church god and his angels have been dis honored by the careless noisy laughing and shuffling of feet heard in some places parents elevate the standard standard of christianity in the minds of your children help them to weave jesus into their experience teach them to have the highest reverence for the house of god and to understand that when they enter the lord's house it should be with the hearts that are softened and subdued by such thoughts as these god is here this is his house i must have pure thoughts and the holiest motives i must have no pride envy jealousy evil surmising hatred and or deception in my heart for i am coming into the presence of the holy god this is the place where god meets with and blesses his people the high and holy one who inhabiteth eternity look upon me searches my heart and reads the most secret thoughts and acts of my life brethren will you not devote a little thought to this subject and notice how you conduct yourselves in the house of god and what efforts you are making by precept and example to cultivate reverence in your children you roll vast responsibilities upon the preacher and hold him accountable for the souls of your children but you do not sense your own responsibility as parents and as instructors and like abraham command your household after you that they may keep the statutes of the lord your sons and daughters are corrupt by your own example and lacks precepts and notwithstanding this lack of domestic training you expect the minister to counteract your daily work and accomplish the wonderful achievement of training their hearts and lives to virtue and piety after the minister has done all he can do for the church by faithful affectionate admonition patient discipline and fervent prayer to reclaim and save the soul yet is not successful the fathers and mothers often blame him because their children are not converted when it may be because of their own neglect the burden rests with the parents and will they take up the work that god has entrusted to them and with fidelity perform it will they move onward and upward working in a humble patient preserving way to reach the exalted standard themselves and to bring their children up with them no wonder our churches are feeble and do not have that deep earnest piety in their borders that they should have our present habits and customs which dishonor god and bring the sacred and heavenly down to the level of the common are against us we have a sacred testing sanctifying truth and if our habits and practices are not in accordance with the truth we are sinners against great light and are proportionately guilty it will be far more tolerant for the heathen in the day of god's retributive justice than for us these are powerful words and we need to consider them very carefully we need to do our part and god will do his part and unfortunately there are many ministers today who are afraid to tell the truth and afraid to rock the boat because they don't want to lose people they don't want to upset people because if they say things that don't agree with them people won't come back we can't be afraid of that we can't be afraid of the people we will lose
gurus and the people who will stop listening to us because we speak the truth. We need to dare to be a Daniel and speak the truth, whether that means risking our life or not. Whether it's before kings or before a common person, we must speak the truth. We don't have to do it in a mean way or a rude way, but we can do it in a way that we still stand up for our convictions, even though it might mean losing family, friends, and people that you once considered like family. This is what we are called to do. We are called to stand apart, to be a peculiar people. We cannot be afraid of what that might bring to us. We need to start practicing this in our daily lives and we need to start doing our part because we will be held accountable far more for what we know and what we could have known than will those people who didn't know. And it is our job to let these people know that there is a better way of life, that they can be saved, that they don't have to live in this sad world, that they have a calling and a purpose to serve God. She continues, a greater work might be done than we are now doing in reflecting the light of truth. God expects us to bear much fruit. He expects greater zeal and faithfulness, more affectionate and earnest effort by the individual members of the church for their neighbors and for those who are out of Christ. Parents must begin their work on a high plane of action. All who name the name of Christ must put on the whole armor and entreat, warn, and seek to win souls from sin. Lead all who can to listen to the truth in the house of God. We must do much more than we are doing to snatch souls from the burning. It is too true that reverence for the house of God has become almost extinct. Sacred things and places are not discerned. The holy and exalted are not appreciated. Is there not a cause for the want of fervent piety in our families? Is it not because the high standard of religion is left to trail in the dust? God gave rules of order, perfect and exact, to his ancient people. Has his character changed? Is he not the great and mighty God who rules in the heaven of heavens? Would it not be well for us often to read the directions given by God himself to the Hebrews, that we who have the light of the glorious truth shining upon us may imitate their reverence for the house of God? We have abundant reason to maintain a fervent, devoted spirit in the worship of God. We have reason even to be more thoughtful and reverential in our worship than had the Jews. But an enemy has been at work to destroy our faith in the sacredness of Christian worship. The place dedicated to God should not be a room where worldly business is transacted. I'm going to pause here and say Jesus himself demonstrated this when he tore apart the place inside the temple where the Jews had all these animals set up for sacrifice and money lenders and all of these things going on in the sanctuary. He threw the tables down. He scattered everything. He let the animals go and he said, this is the house of God. I'm paraphrasing here. And you should not desecrate it in this manner. And he was doing it out of righteous indignation. And we should have that same righteous indignation and we should not be talking about these things in God's house. She continues, if the children assemble to worship God in a room that is used during the week for a school or a storeroom, they will be more than human if mingled with their devotional thoughts. They do not also have thoughts of their studies or of things that have happened during the week. The education and training of the youth should be of a character that would exalt sacred things and encourage pure devotion for God and his house. Many who profess to be children of the heavenly king have no true appreciation of the sacredness of eternal things. Nearly all need to be taught how to conduct themselves in the house of God. Parents should not only teach but command their children to enter the sanctuary with sobriety and reverence. The moral taste of the worshipers in God's holy sanctuary 
memory must be elevated, refined, sanctified. This matter has been sadly neglected. Its importance has been overlooked. And as the result, disorder and irreverence have become prevalent and God has been dishonored. When the leaders in the church, ministers and people, father and mothers have not had elevated views of this matter, what could be expected of the inexperienced children? They are too often found in groups away from the parents who should have charge of them, notwithstanding they are in the presence of God and his eye is looking upon them. They are light and trifling. They whisper and laugh, are careless, irreverent, and inattentive. They are seldom instructed that the minister is God's ambassador, that the message he brings is one of God's appointed agencies in the salvation of souls, and that to all who have the privilege brought within their reach, it will be a savor of life unto life or of death unto death. The delicate and susceptible minds of the youth obtain their estimate of the labors of God's servants by the way their parents treat the matter. Many heads of families make the service a subject of criticism at home, approving a few things and condemning others. Thus, the message of God to men is criticized and questioned and made a subject of levity. What impressions are thus made upon the young by these careless, irreverent remarks the books of heaven alone will reveal? The children see and understand these things very much quicker than parents are apt to think. Their moral senses receive a wrong bias that time will never fully change. The parents mourn over the hardness of heart in their children and the difficulty in arousing their moral sensibilities to answer to the claims of God. But the books of heavenly record trace with unerring pen the true cause. The parents were unconverted. They were not in harmony with heaven or with heaven's work. Their low common ideas of the sacredness of the ministry and of the sanctuary of God were woven into the education of their children. It is a question whether anyone who has for years been under the, this blighting influence of home instruction will ever have a sensitive reverence and high regard for God's ministry and the agencies he has appointed for the salvation of souls. These things should be spoken of with reverence, with propriety of language, and with fine susceptibility, that you may reveal to all you associate with that you regard the message from God's servants as a message to you from God himself. This is so true. We need to be better examples, whether we have children or not, because children are looking not only at their parents, but at everybody who's in the church. So we all need to set an example, and not just to children, but those who are visiting, because you don't know when people are coming in that are from off the street or from another church or from wherever they come from. We need to be an example no matter what. Now, this isn't saying that we shouldn't talk about error that's being taught in the church. We should teach our children right from wrong, but it's also saying you have to do it in a way that still teaches them that respect and honor in God's church and also to teach them the truth. I mean, if the minister gets up there and says something that goes against the word of God, you need to tell your children that. You can't let them believe in error, but that's not what she's talking about here. She continues, parents, be careful what example and what ideas you give your children. Their minds are plastic and impressions are easily made. In regard to the service of the sanctuary, if the speaker has a blemish, be afraid to mention it. Talk only of the good work he is doing, of the good ideas he 
presented, which you should heed as coming through God's agent. It may be readily seen why children are so little impressed with the ministry of the word and why they have so little reverence for the house of God. Their education has been defective in this respect. Their parents need daily communion with God. Their own ideas need to be refined and ennobled. Their lips need to be touched with a live coal from off the altar. Then their habits, their practices at home will make a good impression on the minds and characters of their children. The standard of religion will be greatly elevated. Such parents will do a great work for God. They will have less earthliness, less sensuality, and more refinement and fidelity at home. Life will be invested with a solemnity of which they have scarcely conceived. Nothing will be made common that pertains to the service and worship of God. So there is a way to go about addressing what the minister said if he says something wrong. Maybe don't say to the child, oh, what the minister said was wrong, but study it out for yourselves. And hey, let's have a Bible study this week about this subject. And then you study it from the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and show them the truth. And that way they are more impressed and, and you didn't really bad talk the minister, but you studied and you showed them the truth as it is written in the word of God and through his servant, the prophet. That is a better way of going about it than to cut down the person who's in the pulpit trying to preach what they think is truth. We need to preach the truth, but we need to do it in a way that's also the right way and so that the children don't get wrong ideas. And she continues, I am often pained as I enter the house where God is worshipped to see the untidy dress of both men and women. If the heart and character were indicated by the outward apparel, then certainly nothing could be heavenly about them. They have no true idea of the order, the neatness, and the refined deportment that God requires of all who come into his presence to worship him. What impressions do these things give to unbelievers and to the youth who are keen to discern and to draw their conclusions? In the minds of many, there are no more sacred thoughts connected with the house of God than with the most commonplace. Some will enter the place of worship with their hats on and soiled dirty clothes. Such do not realize that they are to meet with God and holy angels. There should be a radical change in this matter all through our churches. Ministers themselves need to elevate their ideas to have finer susceptibilities in regard to it. It is a feature of the work that has been sadly neglected because of the irreverence in attitude, dress, and deportment, and the lack of worshipful frame of mind. God has often turned his face away from those assembled for his worship. All should be taught to be neat, clean, and orderly in their dress, but not to indulge in that external adorning which is wholly inappropriate for the sanctuary. There should be no display of the apparel, for this encourages irreverence. The attention of the people is often called to this or that fine article of dress, and thus thoughts are intruded that should have no place in the hearts of worshipers. God is to be the subject of thought, the object of worship, and anything that attracts the mind from the solemn, sacred service is an offense to him. The parading of bows and ribbons, ruffles and feathers, and gold and silver ornaments is a species of idolatry and is wholly inappropriate for the sacred service of God, where the eye of every worshiper should be single to his glory. All matters of dress should be strictly guarded, followed closely the Bible rule. Fashion has been the goddess who has ruled the outside world, and she often insinuates herself into the church. The church should make the word of God her standard, and parents should think intelligently upon this subject. When they see their children inclined to follow worldly fashions, they should, like Abraham, resolutely command their households after them. Instead of uniting them with the world, connect them with God. Let none dishonor God's sanctuary by their showy apparel. God and angels are there. The Holy One of Israel has spoken 
spoken through his apostles, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair, of wearing of gold, or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. This, I think, is really important because too many people have this idea that they need to dress in wild, bold clothes and huge, big, fancy hat and fancy hair and clothes that really stick out and are like so elegant and fancy. That's not necessary. Yes, we need to dress nice and neat and clean and with good clothes that aren't full of holes and things like that and we need to have a nice outfit but it also doesn't have to be anything flashy it can be simple it can be plain it should be plain in fact according to this because all of that outward show is an idol we are told and we don't want to be idol worshipers we shouldn't be dressing that way we shouldn't seek people's attention in that sort of way this isn't about us this is about worshiping God so we need to stop trying to put on a fashion show and start worshiping God in truth and in spirit and in our hearts. We're not trying to impress anybody. We're not trying to be all that. We need to dress in a nice way, but also in a way that isn't going to draw attention to us because it's not about what we wear. It's about what spirit we bring to God. But it doesn't mean we should be going in like a bum either. I mean, bums are welcome because that's best that they have because they don't have what we have. But if you have the ability to come to church in a nice clean outfit, do it. But and we all need to work on this. I mean, and we've probably all done it. We've all dressed up. We've all talked irreverent in the church. We've all done one or more or all of these things because we are human and we err and we don't read these things and we don't attend to it. We let our children go off by themselves. Some churches even have children's church. That shouldn't be. And she talks about that. And I don't have time to get into it, but we should have our children with us. They can listen to the same things we're listening to. There should not be a separation. We need to keep the family unit together and we need to listen and regard and have that reverence and we need to cultivate these things and we need to preach these things from the pulpit and we need to make a change in the churches. A revival is needed. We need to bring this reverence back. We need to bring these ideas to the forefront for these people to change and for all of these things to happen because without these things we are becoming more and more like the world and churches today you can't tell them some of them from a club or a regular meeting house on the street you might as well be going to church in a coffee house in some of these places and it's so sad and God weeps over his people and the angels weep over all of the stuff that is happening in our churches and we are the ones who can change it we must stand up for it and people will laugh at you people will mock at you people will not like you when you tell them that they shouldn't be dressing in certain ways, that they shouldn't be, you know, talking in certain ways, and they'll slough it off as unimportant. But we are told time and time again that we need to have reverence in the sanctuary. And even the people, when Moses built the sanctuary, they weren't even allowed into the most holy place or the holy place. They were to clean themselves before they even went before God. They were to have reverence and prepare their their hearts and pray and get out every sin and we're told a time and time again to worship God with reverence and with honor and to love the Lord and to fear the Lord and all of these things are principles in the Bible that are is reiterated over and over again and this is just bringing out more and more details I highly encourage you to read the rest of the chapter for your 
ourselves. And there is more about the behavior of the church and behavior of how children should act and how they, that we should all be together. And But you guys get the idea. And if you want to do more research, you, sh- you should definitely do more research on your own and read all of the quotes that go along with this and study it out for yourself because that is what we are commanded to do, to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. Now, with all of this said, we need to share it with others and don't be afraid. Like I said, once we know the truth, we are obligated. It is our duty to tell others about it and to witness to others in a kind and loving way. We must bring this truth forward, but do it in a way that's not disrespectful or rude or in a mean spirit. We must bring this to the people because we are concerned for their salvation and we need to change ourselves and show God the proper respect and honor that he deserves, not just in the sanctuary, but in every single day of our life. We need to pray with reverence. We need to pray in a way that we are speaking to the God of the universe who created all things. We need to have more awe. We need to have more reverence. We need to treat him the way that he deserves to be treated. Instead, we get too complacent. We forget about all of the things that he's done for us, all of the things that make him God. We forget who we are talking to and about. Yes, he is our friend. Yes, he is our companion and he loves us. And But he is also the God of the universe and he deserves to be treated as such. Now I want to sing this little song that talks about how we should be a sanctuary. And it's a short one and you probably are familiar with it. So it goes like this. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. Thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary, Lord, for you. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a sanctuary Lord for you and we need to be a living sanctuary and have that reverence and awe in us just as well as we need to be an example for others and we need to have God residing in us just like we need to have that reverence and awe when we go into the his sanctuary into his house and the Psalms talks about the reverence and awe that we should be giving to God and all throughout the Bible many people in the Bible and in the spirit prophecy talk about this and we need to keep this in mind and in the forefront of our mind and be a sanctuary not only an example when we are in his real sanctuary but also out there in the world when we are away from the church and away from people we need to be an example no matter where we are inside and out now remember what it says in Matthew 5 16 it says let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven with all of this being said let your light so shine so that you are a star witness for the Lord.